Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And as you turn there, I want to remind you that on the second Sunday of December, we're receiving our end of the year giving campaign. And one of the things we do every year is we receive an over and above offering, which is not a mandated amount. We just ask you to pray about it, and whatever God tells you to give, we ask that you give. And one of the things we're doing this year is going into our marketing efforts as we move into our new area. But it's also going to cover the repainting and the recovering of all of our vans. Amen? And so that's a project that we're going to work on as part of our marketing efforts. And so I want to remind you, it's the second Sunday of December. So take time to pray about it. And whatever God tells you to give, that's what you give. Amen? Revelation chapter 1. We'll look at verse 5. And it says, And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. We sang about that earlier. And washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're doing a series called The Royal Family. And one of the things we've seen in the scriptures, and not doing a lot of review today, but one of the reasons Jesus went to the cross, died, and was risen from the dead was to make you royalty. Say, I am royalty. Now say it like you believe it. I am royalty. And so I encourage you, if you haven't been here, to go to our podcast and listen to those messages or download them from FCCGA.com. We put it all out for free so you can grow in the Word of God. You can follow along with me right now in my notes on the live events section of the Bible app. You have to believe you are royalty. One of the things we said last week is if you don't believe it, you'll settle for anything. You'll live any kind of way if you, don't think who, if you don't think of who you are. And one of the things about royalty, they're supposed to operate a certain way. So go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. One of the things it does in Proverbs chapter 8, it personifies wisdom. So notice what wisdom says about itself in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. We spend a lot of time in the wisdom books today. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Count was mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign, and princes decree justice. 
By me, princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. So royalty is expected to operate by wisdom. Royalty is expected to operate by wisdom. Because I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable, lasting riches and righteousness. So notice, with wisdom comes riches and wealth. And notice it's not fly-by-night money, here today, gone tomorrow. It's lasting wealth. But lasting wealth, well, your righteousness is still intact. Some people can get a lot of money and keep it, but they've compromised on the way to top. And whatever you compromise on the way to the top will eventually rule you when you get there. And so the way of wisdom is you can increase in wealth and your righteousness still be intact. Royalty is expected to live and rule by wisdom. I like one person, what one man said is, if you are royalty, if you say you are royalty and have no wealth, your royalty will be called into question. If you say you are royalty and have no wealth, your royalty will be called into question. Say, I am royalty. So where's your wealth? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, we all love that scripture. People love quoting that scripture. It says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you heard that scripture before? How many of you believe that scripture? Now, why do so many people don't have their needs met? I submit to you, it's not a question, did God supply my needs? It's a question, did you mismanage what he provided? God is faithful to his word. He always provides, but we don't always operate as good stewards over what he gave us. We're called to be owners with a stewardship responsibility. Jesus uses that proverb multiple times talking about a steward who hears, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Everything God puts in your hand, he expects you to use it wisely. A lot of times we had needs coming up, and God blessed us with something, but we spent it on something silly. And then we ended up with more month than money. But we quote all the right scriptures. We believe all the right things, yet when it gets to the end of the month, we still broke. And we can't honor God, we can't tithe, we can't sow, we can't give an offering because we mismanage what God put in our hands. That means we haven't been operating by wisdom. It's not that God is not faithful. It's not that prosperity doesn't work. It always works, but are you using wisely what God has given you? Wisdom is needed to walk in the prosperity God desires for you to experience. God wants you to be blessed. He is determined to bless you. He wants you to be prosperous. But he wants you to live in wisdom so you can have what he has for you to have. Go to Proverbs 21, verse 20. It's not about did God supply. It's about what did you do with that supply? Proverbs 21, verse 20. 
says, there is treasure to be desired and oil on the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man, a what? Spins it up. So they both had something in their house. The wise person still had something in their house. The foolish spent it. So that's a mentality. You have to go from living for Friday night to planning for generations. There has to be an upgrading in our thinking. That's like, well, I'm young, so I can do whatever I want. Yes, you're young. Yes, you may not have the responsibilities, but life keeps going. So you can say, well, this credit card won't mess me up in college. Hey, I can keep paying it. The interest is low. And then you graduate with student loans and credit card debt. And no one's hiring. So you move back home and not knowing what to do. Ooh, it gets quiet in here. <laughs> Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 13. Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than rubies and all things that can desire not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Wisdom comes with wealth. Wealth comes with wisdom, rather. Go to Proverbs 24, verse 3. It's one of our text scriptures for the series. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Proverbs 24, verse 3, through wisdom is a house or a household, as it's also translated, built. And by understanding is it established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. We are building royal families. You build by wisdom. One of the reasons we exist as Faith Christian Center, one of our purposes at Faith Christian Center is just raise up and develop strong families. And we do it through the practical teaching of the Word of God. So we take times where we're talking about very practical things. You may not seem excited or happy, but this is what you need. A lot of people just want spiritual candy. Oh, pastor, make me feel good and let me go home. Yeah, you leave happy, but you still leave broke. We are building royal families. You build by wisdom. You make what you build stronger or established by the comprehension or the understanding of the wisdom you build by. You make what you build stronger by the understanding of the wisdom you build by. To understand wisdom, you have to hear it more than once. We use this example on Wednesday. When you were in school and you were in class, the teacher, if they were a good teacher, didn't mention things just once for you to get it. 
especially if it was a class that you really didn't understand. You had to hear it again and again and again, and depending on the class, you may have needed a tutor. You had reviews. You had books you read. You kept hearing it again and again and again until you got it. It's the same with the wisdom of the Scripture. You have to hear it again and again. You can build by wisdom, but what you build may not be strong if you don't understand why you're doing it. One level of revelation, I'm doing it because God told me. But the next level is now I understand the process. I've walked with them long enough. I've studied the word long enough to see why God wants me to do it. That's how you make what you build stronger. So you make what you build stronger by the comprehension or the understanding of the wisdom you build by. The correct knowledge causes what you build to be filled with all types of precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom is defined as correctly applied knowledge. Wisdom is correctly applied knowledge. The Bible says you should get knowledge, but there's a whole lot of knowledge out there. And in the age of information, there's a lot of misinformation. And people have seemingly become more gullible than ever before. You know, people used to talk about a generation that says, if it's on TV, it must be true. But now we got a generation that says, if it's on Facebook, it must be true. Just because it's on social media doesn't mean it's true. Fake news didn't appear last year. It's been here a long time. And so that means you should research what you read. Go back to elementary school when they taught you how to appropriately research a paper. To have multiple sources. So before you make some financial investment because you saw someone share something on Facebook, please research it out. Christianity is not check your brains at the door. God has given you a brain and he wants you to use it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, please use that brain God gave you. So we should obtain knowledge. We should watch for our obtaining to make sure we're obtaining the correct knowledge. But the thing is, you can get a whole lot of knowledge and still not be wise. Because you can misappropriate or misapply the knowledge you get and still look like a fool even though you gained a lot of knowledge. So you must have wisdom so you correctly apply what you learn. There's a lot of book smart people who are dumb. Has anybody met someone, they're awesome in the classroom, but in life they don't know how to live? They have a lot of knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it. So we can't just be people who get knowledge, we have to learn how to apply it. Because it's by wisdom you build your household. It's by wisdom you build your life. It's by wisdom you increase in wealth and strength. That word strength there, increasing in might, also means increasing in strength and in wealth. The wise increase. Because what happens if you get stronger, you can do more. So, well, I don't need anything else. I'm good where I am. Well, that's selfish. Because if you only have enough for you and you're for no more, who else can you help? Because if you're always increasing in wealth, you can help more people. One of the things we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God wants us to get us to a place where we are bound to every good work. That anytime there's a need and you want to be a blessing, you have something to give. So it's not like, I wish I could. You know, I really want you, but I have nothing to give. You get to a place that you can bless everybody you want to bless. It's not a question, do I have it? It's a question, where do I want to give it? So wisdom will cause you to increase so you can keep being a blessing. 
One of the things studying when they're talking about the hurricanes that hit, they said the churches were faster in responding than the national government. The churches were out giving the government hand over foot, and that's how it should be. The church is supposed to be the strongest, mightiest organization in the world because it is the organization that Jesus died for, shed his blood for, was raised for, and gave his spirit. The church is the strongest, mightiest institution in the world forever. Yes, the church may have issues because people got issues. But people can talk about the church all day long, but we still here. We've survived persecution. We've survived Roman steel. We've survived corruption. We've survived terrorists. We've survived all these things, yet we are still here. So long live the church. But we can only keep being a blessing to our world if we operate by wisdom. The Word of God is the wisdom of God. It contains the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding you need to build a successful life and family. Let's go to Proverbs 27. So let's look at some of this wisdom. Let's break it down in some steps. Because one of the things the Lord has led me to do is after we finish this message, we'll be praying for those who need jobs. And we believe you're going to receive jobs. But don't expect someone to give you a job. People don't just hand out jobs. You know where they used to hand out jobs? The plantation. Our mentality has to change. Stop expecting people to just give you stuff. So that means we're going to pray for you and release the anointing in favor, but you got to go and apply. Learn how to write a resume. Use Google for something else than just looking at YouTube videos and looking at cats doing cute things. Research how to write a resume. Ask people to help you and read it over. Apply everywhere. Don't think any job's too good for you. Because you think, well, that's just, you know, I got so much experience. Well, that's great, but if you got no money, what's your experience doing for you? It's like, well, I don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's. Well, why do you think that's where you're going to stay? Flip those burgers and own a franchise. Stop thinking things are so below you that you don't ever apply. Go apply. Go look for jobs. People are hiring. It's the Christmas season. I remember when I had just graduated from high school, I was going through ministry school, and so I had time, so I went and got two jobs. and nothing else to do. And so one of the jobs I got was in retail, and I never worked retail before. I showed up in a shirt and tie, and they said, it's unheard of seeing a young man show up in a shirt and tie. And so they liked me already, and I was interviewing with the general manager, and he said, you know what? We're hiring a lot of people for the Christmas season, but we're going to hire you with the group, but you don't tell them, but you're permanent. All right. <laughs> Works for me. And so Christmas season ended, and I was still there. Why? This is the favor of God. So just because they say it's temporary doesn't mean it's temporary for you. I remember when I got into college, and I was in college working, and I got a job, I think it was uh, before the summer of my senior year. And so I was, work I was a part of an organization called Students of Free Enterprise. We went and did a business presentation, and we won and for our local area, for our region. And so we're going to nationals. And so after we won a region, an owner of a local shoe store contacted me and said, hey, if you need a job, just let me know, and I'll hire you on the spot. 
And I said, you know, my thinking is like, you know, I never planned on selling shoes. It just didn't register. You know how someone can tell you something just didn't click, that someone just offered you a job? And so, because I said, we saw how you present, you'll do good for our company. And so it just didn't click. And so we go to nationals. We end up being the top 40 schools. And so I'm surrounded, like that manager comes, the vice president of operations comes, and the regional director comes and says, Carrick, when are you coming to work for us? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be there next week. So I get there, and they said, you know, we hire everybody at this rate, but do you mind if we pay you more? I was like, no, I don't mind at all. Go ahead. Let God use you. And what happened? They decided to be a blessing to me. And so I work hard, and it's one of the things I began to confess, Father, because they blessed me, I want this company to be blessed. And so I became one of their highest salesperson. Top three. I never sold shoes before. Top three all the time. My first day on the job, in four hours, I sold over $1,000. And they just looked at me. They said, oh, it must be because you worked in retail before. I said, you can believe whatever you wanted to believe. <laughs> then one day I got to $2,000 in under four hours. They said, Carrick, you've, co you've covered the cost to hire you and someone else. So anytime you want to leave, you can leave, do what you need to do. What? Well, I was a blessing to them. And that should be your mentality for where you work, to be a blessing, that you expect that company to do well because you're there. So that means you have to have an excellent spirit. That's what they said of Joseph and Daniel. They didn't say they're lazy. They were of excellent spirit. You shouldn't have people say, oh, I don't want to hire Christians because they're lazy. He says, oh, I want to hire those people because they are excellent. They're faithful. They get to work early. So you left some amens right there. <laughs> you need to do what you need to do so you get to work early. If you got to set eight alarms, set eight alarms. Go to bed early. Start watching so much Netflix. I said, are you still watching? You know, that's when Netflix judges you. After three episodes, it wants to make sure if you're still there. Tell it no and go to bed. So you get there on time, be a person of excellence. That's part of your witness too. It's not just about when you testify. It's about how you live your life. Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. Now, why is this verse important? It goes on to us for riches, money is not forever, and as the crown endured to every generation, it's not automatically guaranteed. The hay appears, the tender grass shows itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for your clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And you shall have goat's milk enough for your food and the house, food for your household and for the maintenance of your maidens. What are you saying? Be di diligent, look well, know what you have coming in and going out. It shouldn't be a guess every month. Ooh, what credit card's going to clear? <laughs> Welcome to the game show of managing our debt. What's going to work today? That's not how God wants you to live. So to operate by scriptural wisdom, you should have a budget. To operate by scriptural wisdom, you should have a budget. Say, I should have a budget. Look at your neighbor and say, you better have a budget. So like, well, why do you teach on this simple level? People come in at all different areas. You could be a plus person, you have a budget, you're prospering, says, well, this isn't for me. Well, now I'm teaching you how to teach someone who needs to know what you know. Why? Because everyone needs this information. So you should have a budget. 
So create a budget, a financial plan you live by. Two weeks ago, we shared that you should seek God for his vision for your family. That financial plan should support the vision that God has given you. A vision must have a plan in order to come to pass. A vision must have a plan in order to come to pass. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. What are they running to do? What the vision said. Which means the vision must have a plan with steps that can be easily followed. So just because you got the big picture of the vision, that means you have to go back before God and get the steps in how to make it happen. So what is your income? What are your expenses? What are your investments? What is your debt? What are your assets? What are your liabilities? You should know the answer to all of these things so you can build the royal household God has for you. Shouldn't just be, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, how are you ever going to increase if you don't know? Right? Go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. So it said, create a plan. You need to create a financial plan that you live by. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Does he becomes poor that deals with a slack hand or is lazy? But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, For a dream comes through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. The word business means work. So a dream comes to pass by working a lot. Jesse Duplantis said it this way, How big are you willing to dream? How hard are you willing to work? You have to work for your dream, for the vision God has given for your family to come to pass. Go to Proverbs 12, 11. It's one of the scriptures we spent a number of weeks on at the beginning of this year and at the end of last year. Proverbs 12, verse 11. One of the things we're going to do at the end of this experience, I've already alerted the youth pastor, is to have all the youth come in here and we're going to lay hands on them to believe they have received scholarships and grants. We want our kids graduating college debt-free. Well, if you want your kids to have debt, well, y'all can have debt. How many of you want our kids to graduate debt-free? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. It says, he that tills or works his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that follows vain persons is void of understanding. We know this is a year of fabulous outpourings from heaven. It's raining, but you must work your land. Although it's raining, doesn't mean everything happens automatically. You must work your land. You must work your plan. So number one, create a plan. Number two, work your plan. Number two, work your plan. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Create a plan, work your plan. It's great to have a plan, but if you never do it, what's the point of having a plan? Proverbs 3. And one of the things, if you're going to create a plan, if you're married, y'all both got to know the plan and agree to the plan. Because Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So that means y'all have to talk about the budget. And there's no couple I know that looks forward to budget conversations. That is not a sexy word. So you know what? We're going to go home and we're going to talk about the budget. You never see people rushing home to do that. 
unless you're like Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory, but most people don't want to talk about the budget. But that's needed because one of the number one reasons people divorce is by financial matters. It's not because they don't have enough or they have too much. It's because they don't agree on how they manage it. And financial pressure is one of the worst pressures because financial pressure makes every other problem in the marriage bigger. Because if there wasn't a financial pressure, you may not be concerned they left the light on or they left the toilet seat up. But now that they're financial pressure, that's a declaration of war. <laughs> financial pressure makes everything worse. And if you don't operate by wisdom, you will have financial pressure. And if you don't understand your royalty, you think, well, that's what God has called me to suffer. God never called you to be broke. When you study the Old Testament, it's clear that poverty is a curse. One of the things I hear when we talk to Jewish brethren, they said, why do Christians think it's a blessing to be broke? Don't they read their own Bible? So we've accepted religion and think, oh, it's holy to be broke. No, it's not. He said, well, Jesus was broke. No, he wasn't. Oh, Jesus was homeless. No, he wasn't. The scripture said he had a house, and it wasn't a box. It was big enough for four people to stay in the whole day. Before Jesus entered into his ministry, he had a business. And don't you think Jesus operated his business by wisdom? When Jesus started his ministry, he had a treasurer. His name was Judas. John added a few extra facts that Judas would regularly steal from the treasury. Number one, you don't need a treasurer if you have three pennies in it. And Matthew was a tax collector, so you know he was always watching the money. Which meant in Jesus' treasury, there had to be an abundance because Matthew couldn't even notice if Judas stole something. And you read Luke chapter 8, there were a group of people that traveled with Jesus, not because of their apostles, they traveled to pay for everything. So they gave to Jesus' ministry, but they also stopped him from paying for things like, oh, we got this Jesus. So if people are always showing up to do this, you do have something in your treasury. So don't believe the religious lie that you're supposed to be broke. Don't receive that brainwashing. And please don't let the media tell you how much money Christians should have. Because they start talking about, well, these preachers shouldn't have that, all that money. And then they start saying, well, these Christian businessmen shouldn't have all that money. Who asked you? You know, sometimes I want them to respond, well, how much do you make? Well, how much have you given this year, Mr. Fox News, Mr. CNN, Mr. MSNBC? Oh, oh, you don't want to answer that? That's not to the point? No, that is part of the point. You're asking me, so now I'm asking you. Don't let the media teach you what the Bible actually says. Read the Bible for yourself. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, even your financial ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Isaiah says, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you how to profit. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Honor the Lord and make weighty the Lord, with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your precious shall burst out with new wine. Number three is prioritize God. 
Prioritize God by putting him first. Prioritize God by putting him first. And it says you honor him, you make him weighty in your life, meaning he's number one, by putting him first. So you put God first in the arena of finances by presenting your tithe. You can present God first in the way of your day by starting your day in prayer and reading the word. But putting God first in the arena of finances by presenting your tithe. The tithe is 10% of your gross. Why do you give off the gross? Give to God before you give to the government. Uncle Sam's going to get his. There's no doubt. And if you don't give, they will find you. So make sure you give to God before the government gets theirs. Because even Jesus says you should pay your taxes. John the Baptist preached you should pay your taxes. The Bible says you should pay your taxes. Probably the IRS's favorite scriptures. <laughs> now, the Bible doesn't say how much your taxes should be. That's what y'all can debate about. But the Bible does say you should pay your taxes. But before you pay your taxes, make sure God gets his. So in order to tithe, it means I have to budget my life based on less than 90% of my income. In order to tithe, I have to budget my life to live off of less than 90% of my income. Because if I don't, my heart may be right, but I won't tithe, I just tip God. In order to tithe, you have to budget, meaning you have to have a financial plan. And then a lot of times, yeah, some people, they get saved and they never tithe before, then all of a sudden they're saved and they hear the Bible about tithing. So that means you might have to take some time and look at what you have coming in so you can see what adjustments you can make so you can honor God. For some of you, you already have that extra, so it's already easy for you to tithe. Some of you have to go back and look what you have coming in and going out to see what expenditures you, you need to change and get God's wisdom on how you can tithe. So that means you have to do some homework. For some of you, it's not automatic. Some of you just spend 101% of your income. Most Americans spend 101% of their income. And most Americans, even though America is a very giving nation, they only give 4% to churches or charity. So that means the majority of the nation doesn't tithe. That means the majority of the church doesn't tithe. So you have to prioritize God by putting him first. So people like to say in tithing, well, is tithing still for today? A lot of people ask biblical questions because they want to get out of it. So is tithing still for today? So it says, well, we're under the age of grace, so tithing is done away of as part of the law. Well, let's see what the Bible says. In Genesis 14, verse 20, we have the story of Abraham having a victory over enemy army. He brings all his increase to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And verse 20, you see the end of his blessings. And blessed be the most high God, which has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abram, gave Melchizedek tithes of all. Now, Abraham lived over 400 years before Moses. Before the law, he tithed. When you look at Genesis 28, verse 22... Jacob, as he's running for his life, has an appearance with God. He sees the angels going up and down the ladder. He sees God at the top of the ladder. And at the end of his prayer, he promises, I will give you a tenth of everything you give me. He promises, I'm going to give you the tithe. Wait a minute. That is still over 400 years before the law. And if you study the concept of tithing, what is the tithe? It's something that you work for that doesn't belong to you. You put in the work, you put in what you need to do, and you take a tenth and says, that belongs to God, it's not mine. So that concept is not even new with Abraham. 
If you take that mentality, that concept was in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam to work the garden, right? Dress the garden, keep the garden. So that means you have to work and dress and keep every single tree and bush in the garden, right? But he says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. He didn't say you're not supposed to work it. He didn't say you're not supposed to touch it. He says you're not supposed to eat it. That means he would have to harvest it, but he was not supposed to eat it. That tree was his tithe. It belonged to God. And how does God spend the tithe? He spends it on you. The tithe goes so that you have a church you can come to. So as I have the goodness and the love of God, you give a tithe and he spends it on you. Then when you get to the children of Israel going into the promised land, God tells them, you don't take any of the money from Jericho. You put it in the treasury of the Lord. But every other city, you can take what you want. Why? Jericho was the tithe of the land. That concept is all throughout the Bible. Before the law, during the law. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. We'll come back to Proverbs in a moment. Malachi chapter 3. So we see people doing it before the law. We see people doing it during the law. Malachi chapter 3, we'll look at verse 6. It says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? He says, will a man rob God? Obviously, the question is yes. Yet you have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes, not part of the tithes, not group on tithes, all the tithes, into the storehouse, that there may be meat or provision in my house, and put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and empty you out or pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So Malachi is addressing the whole nation. You've gone away from God, and you need to come back to him. And thinking, what do you mean come back to him? He says, come back to him where it concerns giving your tithes and your offerings. What is an offering? Anything above your tithe. It can be one cent. It can be a million dollars. It's whatever is above your tithe. So he tells them to come back to him by giving the tithes and the offering, and they'll operate under the blessing. Now, you got to think, Jesus never sinned, right? How many know that Jesus never sinned? He kept the law completely. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Jesus kept the full law, which means in order to do so, he had to tithe. Think about this. Jesus, your Savior, tithed. If Jesus tithed, why do, why do you think you can get excuse out of it? Jesus also said in Matthew 23, 23, he was checking the Pharisees, the hypocrites, talking about how they do different things. And he says, you pay the tithe off of all of these small herbs and spices, but have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done and not to leave the other undone. So he doesn't say you're not supposed to pay your tithe. He says you're supposed to pay your tithe. You ought to tithe. 
But you're all supposed to remember justice, mercy, and faith. So Jesus says you ought to tithe. He's even referring to tithing off of the smallest amount they had. So, well, that was during the law. What about after the law? Hebrews 7 recalls the story of Abraham and Melchizedek. And verse 8 says, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Now, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament, right? Is that after the law? How many of the book of Hebrews is not part of the law? And whom do we witness that he's alive? Jesus. So when we present our tithes and offering, yes, it goes to a local church, a local storehouse. But Jesus receives it. Hebrews teaches he operates under the ministry of Melchizedek. What does that mean? When Abraham came to present his tithes, Melchizedek came down to receive it, and he blessed him. And the same way, when you present your tithes and your offering, although you may be putting in your bucket, Jesus is standing there to receive it and release the blessing on you. So tithing is before the law, it's during the law, and it's after the law. Tithing is still for today, even in the age of grace. Go to Proverbs 6. So we said number three, put God first, prioritize. You have to plan to tithe. You have to plan to give an offering. Proverbs 6. Verse 6. Go to the ant, you lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O lazy person? When will you get up out of bed? Well, here's what you've been saying. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, let a fold in the hands to sleep. So someone's like, oh, I'll get up and work later. Uh, hit snooze one more time. You know, I've worked hard. I need to sleep a little bit more. So shall your poverty come as one that travels, and your want or your lack as an armed man. Because if your mentality is of being lazy and always sleeping and never working, your poverty will jump you. All of a sudden, broke because you're not operating by the laws of wisdom. God expects you to work. Look at your neighbor and say, God expects you to work. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't make me repeat myself. So learning from the ant, it works, but it also saves. So after you prioritize God, you need to save. You need to put something in savings. Well, that's about 60%. Let's try that again. You need to put something in savings. Yeah. One of the things growing up I was taught, you said you tithe to God, then you tithe to yourself. So that means you live off of less than 80% of your income. And I remember one time when we were doing premarital counseling, and Bishop was talking to me and Lady Raquel. And he says, do you know how much Joseph saved when he ruled Egypt? And I said, no, I don't. That's one of my favorite stories. I never saw it. So he took me to the scripture and showed me that Joseph saved 20% of all the increase when Egypt had his seven prosperous years. And that's what preserved the empire. So he goes, 
Tithing to yourself is good, but as you're able, move it up to 20%. So that's a mentality of not spending everything, but building. And we're told to build royal families. Proverbs also talks about the wealth of the wise man is his stronghold. It provides a defense. So it shouldn't be that every time something happens, oh, my God, what I'm going to do, I've saved for. I'm prepared. So number four, you need to save. You may be at a point where I can't save much. Saving something is better than saving nothing. You say, well, I can only save a dollar. Save that dollar. The principle still works. And as God increases you, you keep applying it. You have to teach your kids the same thinking. Even when they get allowances. It's like, well, my kids live in my house. They should work for free. Well, you can have that mentality, but you need to teach your kids how to manage money. Because if you don't teach them how to manage their allowance, that means the first time they experience money is when they get a job, whether they're 16 or out of your house, and they don't know how to manage money. So you need to give them something so they can manage it. You have to teach them. First, you give your tithe and your offering. So what are you going to give to God? Then, okay, what are you going to put in your savings? Then the rest is whatever you want to spend it on. You have to teach them these principles. I remember a number of years ago, my niece was with us in the summer, and I was trying to teach her about paying taxes. And I said, you will have to pay taxes. And so I did it in a very funny way because I already I like Tex-Mex. And so we went to one of our favorite Tex-Mex restaurants, and we had food at the house. And I said, you know, it's time to pay your taxes. So I went up to her plate of chips. <laughs> and I said, well, here's for your government. Here's for your roads. Here's for the people that protect you. Here's for the people that don't work. Here's for this. Here's for that. Thank you. And she's just staring at me like y'all staring at me. But it's something she will never forget. And so when she went to go buy something, someone blessed her with some money, so she wanted to buy something. And she says, you know, it costs $19.99. I have $20. I can go buy it. I said, can you? She goes, ugh, taxes. And I said, don't worry about the taxes. I'll cover the taxes. But I need you to remember that you're always going to have to pay taxes. You have to find a creative way to teach them life lessons that it sticks. Because you can lecture all day long, and it goes in one ear, out the other. you got to find ways so that they learn. And every year you build on what you taught them previously. One of the things I told her, I was telling her a number of years ago, I said, Uncle Carrick always has money. Why do I always have money? Just you work, you give, and you save. So that's what I had to keep saying. Uncle Carrick always has money. I said, what's one of Uncle Carrick's golden rules? You always have money. Why? You work, you give, you save. Why? Because she'll grow up and she'll always have money. Because she'll work, she'll give, she'll save. You have to have the same mentality when you train up your family after you. One of the reasons God picked Abraham, God said in the scripture, because I know he'll teach his children. So it won't be lost from one generation to the next. So we said number four, save. Proverbs 30, verse 24 through 26, speed it up. It says, there be four things which are little upon the earth but are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. So the conies provide themselves the safest home possible. So number five is seek the appropriate protection for your savings and your investments. 
Seek the appropriate protection for your savings and your investments. This means you should have insurance. That's not out of fear. That's out of wisdom. Does, what you, does the savings account you use, is it protected? And if it is, to what amount? And if you know that answer, don't put anything above that amount. Right? Have insurance for what you have. Protect it. And this also means investors, you should never overextend yourself to such a point that you are financially devastated if the investment doesn't come through. This means investors, you, need, you should never overextend yourself to such a point that you are financially devastated if the investment doesn't come through. You don't put all your eggs in a basket. You still need to have some eggs in savings and invest wisely. Don't invest out of greed, invest out of wisdom. And seek God concerning your investments. Let him lead you, let him guide you, let him direct your steps. He will cause you to operate in wisdom. So it says this means you should have insurance, and this also means investors, you should never overextend yourself to such a point that you are financially devastated if the investment doesn't come through. Proverbs 23, 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. The drunkard and the glutton have something in common. They have no discipline concerning what goes in their mouth. Drowsiness, they have no discipline of going to sleep on time and waking up on time. So number six, be disciplined in your lifestyle and your spending. Number six, be disciplined in your lifestyle and your spending. Make sure what you spend on your house or apartment, transportation, utilities, food, insurance, and et cetera is in proportion to your income. Don't get a huge bill you can't afford. Look at everything and make wise decisions, which means you don't need to act on every opportunity right when it presents itself. It's like, oh, it's a great sale. There'll be another great sale. <laughs> I remember my wife, when we first got married, she had a favorite store. It was called Ross. She loved Ross. And they were everywhere in Texas. Ross showed up so much on my bank accounts, like, ooh, do I have a son named Ross I didn't know about? Because <laughs> I kept seeing money go to Ross. She came home one time with some bags, and she says, there was a sale. It was 30% off. I said, that was 70% more than I wanted to spend. <laughs> and she's really good. She finds the best sales. She's good with money. But one of the things you have to do is make sure what you spend is in proportion to your income. Use self-discipline. The lust of the flesh or the lust of eyes is not just always talking about sex. It's talking about seeing something, you got to buy it now. So you got to teach your kids delayed gratification is not evil. That you can wait. That you don't have to buy everything right now. You can save. You can use your faith. You can believe God for things. And you can work towards that goal. So you need to be disciplined when it comes to your spending and your lifestyle. Number seven, leave room in your budget for incidentals. Leave room in your budget for something. Because something always happens. Right? Milk goes up, bread goes up, gas goes up, or there's an extra bill that there's no way you could plan for. But if you put extra in your budget, then that won't be a crisis just because you have to take two long trips and you have to fill your gas tank again. 
or you have to replace your tires. Put extra in your budget every month just in case something happens. Or put ex- also put extra in your budget just in case you have an opportunity to invest or an opportunity to be a blessing. So don't budget to the point that's every dollar, and if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do. Leave room for extra. So leave room in your budget for the extra stuff. Proverbs 19.14 says, House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Everybody loves to shout about the second part of the verse, and they forget the first part of the verse. So number eight, you need to plan to be a blessing to your descendants. Number eight, plan to be a blessing to your descendants. That means you have to use even more self-discipline to put more aside so that when you're gone, if Jesus tarries, you've left something for them instead of bills and loans. People should not have to take up a GoFundMe to pay for your funeral expenses. You should have prepared ahead of time. Because if Jesus tarries, guess what? We're all dying. If Jesus will come back in the next whatever how long, we're gone, right? We're going to heaven by the way of the grave which means we have to plan for one day leaving this earth, which is not something people like to do because it makes them face their own mortality. So you need a plan to be a blessing to your descendants, which means, men, you should have life insurance. Try this again because I expect the men to say amen. Men, you should have life insurance. Which also means you need to have a will. Because if you don't have a will, the government will help themselves. So you need to research how to write an effective will and update it when things come. You have more kids, update it. You have grandkids, update it. As you keep increasing the wealth, update it. But have a will. You need to plan to be a blessing to your descendants. Proverbs eleven fifteen says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. And he that hates suretyship is sure. Proverbs 22, 26 says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If you have nothing to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Suretyship is just the old King James way of saying co-signing. So number nine, do not co-sign. It's not scriptural. The Bible says, if you co-sign, you're not smart, and you're going to hurt for it. And then says, if someone else can't pay for their bed, why should they take yours? So that means even if you love people, you love your relatives, you love your family, you love your friends, you do not co-sign for it. What do you do? You either pay it outright, you give them something to help them with it, or you say, God bless you. It is unscriptural to co-sign. And a lot of people get in financial situations because they co-sign for people. Amen? Now, I'm not talking, parents, about not putting your kids' school bills in your name. I'm not talking about that. Because you should pay for your kids' schooling. You should pay for your kids' schooling. Why let your kids start off life deep in debt? You know, I heard a story. One of my cousins moved into a neighborhood, and they were standing outside as they're moving in, and there was a, a neighbor. They saw a guy moving in, and he said, oh, are you moving to the neighborhood? He said, oh, no, I'm moving my son in. I said, he just graduated from college. 
He's never given me a day of trouble in his life. Did great in school. Had these scholarships, had these grants. So I bought him a car and I bought him a house. And I filled it with furniture. And so we're like, say that one more time. So think about it. That kid has no reason to ever go in debt. He already had a job, so everything he makes can keep building. That's how you build for the next generation. You gave them a good start. Stop having this old mentality saying, well, I had a struggle, so they should struggle. No one would ever get farther than you get. That's devilish. That's evil. That's hell. It's supposed to get better every single generation. You need to give them a platform they can build from and be a blessing to them. So that means you have to plan before they ever get 18. So if you're just getting married, even if you're not ready to have kids yet, you need to plan on how to be a blessing to your kids. My wife and I were talking about the other day. What can we do by the time our kids turn 18? What are we going to give to them? Because we already we're paying for the school, and that's no question. But what are we going to give to them when they turn 18? And what do we give to them when they graduate? That's decades away. But in order to do it, you got to plan. You have to think it through. So do not co-sign. That's unscriptural. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 9, I'm speeding through because I'm running out of time. It says, but this I say, he was so sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He was so bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. The Amplified Version says, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in abundance, so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnish in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So number 10, sow and reap. So, yes, you give your tithes and offering to your local church. But you should also be given above that. When my wife and I are blessed with large amounts, we don't just tithe and give an offering. We put some to savings. But there's four ministries now that we're blessing to. Why? Because they bless our lives. They're the podcasts we listen to. The people who pour it into us. So we just start cutting checks to those ministries and organizations. Why? We're sowing seed. We're believing for a harvest. We work the law. Because one of the things is, you know, we've had a the opportunity to be mentored by great men and women of faith. And I've seen them work this principle in levels that you go, how in the world did y'all even do that? Because they got to a place, they don't just give away cars, they give away houses. Wow. Like houses, not one. <laughs> then they start giving away planes. Whoa. And then I, one, they, there's another ministry that didn't work for them. But they did a lot of great work around the world and cost a lot of money for them to travel back and forth. They said, send us your travel bills. We'll pay for it. They're sowing. And then they reap. So you need to plan to sow and reap. Who else do you want to be a blessing to? What orphanage do you want to help build? What hospital do you want to build? What missionary do you want to support? What cause do you want to be a blessing to? Look for those things and be a blessing. It's part of our mission to make Jesus famous in Atlanta beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. So you have to sow and weep. You have to plan to be a blessing. 
So what about debt? Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt is not a sin, but you should develop a plan to get out of debt so that you can experience the freedom God has for you. God's best for you is not debt. Debt is not a sin, but God does want you out of debt. And there is a thing called supernatural debt cancellation. Now, usually by now, I'll let you out and let y'all go home, but I think some of you want some debts canceled. Oh, so that's about 50 of you. Does anybody else want some debts canceled? So for the next few minutes, I'm going to teach on this. And as I do, that anointing is going to increase on me. When we taught on it last year, we prayed for people like we will today. And afterwards, we got testimonies of over half a million dollars of supernatural debt cancellation. And one of the things is, one of the things I was honored to do, I saw people's faces as they brought in the reports. I had one lady, it was just Wednesday night, and so she was doing her taxes, and then she said, I thought I owed this, but it was $8,000 less. I don't know where it went. Like, her face was like, I can't explain it. Another lady owed a large amount, I think it was something like $30,000. She went in her account to make a payment, it was gone. She's like, I don't know where it went. They don't know either, so they say I don't owe it. Then there was another lady who had some serious medical bills. It wasn't a missed financial planning. She had an incident in life, and she had some bad financial debt because of the medical bills. And so she didn't know how she was going to pay it. She's praying about it, believing God. And then she got a call from the hospital and says, hey, you don't owe anything. She's like, what do you mean I don't owe anything? And so she researched it. And they said, oh, there was a grant that matched your situation. And so we decided to pay it off for you. So we got all of those testimonies again and again and again So we got over half a million dollars worth of testimonies last year. Then near the end of the year, we got other testimonies of people said we received raises so we could pay off what we owe. That wasn't even in the half a million dollar amount because we didn't ask people to send in those testimonies. But then other people got raises and they were able to budget and pay off other things. And if God did it once, he's about to do it again. Amen? So I need your faith with me as we look over these scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 15. You could be in debt today because you made some mistakes. You could be in debt today because life happened. You could be in debt today because you got student loans. And the only way you could pay for your education is if you took out loans. There's a million different reasons why you can be in debt. But I've taught you the wisdom of God on how to budget your money and what you need to do after the natural. But now I'm going to talk about the supernatural. When God puts his super on your natural and gets you out of debt. I heard a testimony yesterday. One of our members told me, talking about how they owed a certain amount. And I think Raquel, they said it's all gone now, right? Or to drop down seriously. The lady told us yesterday about the testimony, about the student loans. So if it's not completely gone, it's dropped down significantly. Because the Lord told her to go to school. And she's like, well, I don't want to take out student loans. He says, do it. I'll take care of it. And God did. He's faithful to his word. So Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, says, at the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from the neighbors or relatives. For the Lord's time of release, a time of release, has arrived. Then he goes on and says, this release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites, not the foreigners living among you. 
Notice what it says in verse 4. There should be no poor among you. For the Lord your God will greatly bless you and the land he has given you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you this day. The Lord your God will bless you as he's promised. You will lend money to many nations but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. So the plan of God was to bless them exceedingly so that there will be no poor among them. He goes on in chapter 15, tells them that there will be no poor among them, Israelites and foreigners, and tells them to give generously to those in need and to grant loans according to the seven-year system. So their system of finance is based on every seven years, everybody is debt-free. Because God didn't want his people living in debt. He says, if they have to take a loan from you, put it on a seven-year payment. And if somehow they can't pay it at the end of seven years, you wipe it clean. This is what God put in the law for his people. Leviticus 25, verse 8, New Living Translation says, In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the day of atonement in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud along throughout the land, Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. So some people could get in such financial trouble, they sold their inheritance, the land that was promised to them when they moved into the promised land. And they sold it because they're in such a financial crisis. Some of the people would even sell themselves into servitude so they could be a blessing to the family. To take care of debt they couldn't take care of. But God said every 50 years they got to go free. So that means God, we talked about before, how God wants us to live 120 years, right? So that means in the plan of God, God already planned for his people to have at least two financial do-overs. Think about the character and the mercy and the love of God. In his plan, two do-overs. He doesn't want you even to need a do-over, but in case you mess it up, I got a do-over for you. It was called the favorable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. So notice the heart of our God who is El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh. Isaiah 10, 27 tells us, the burden shall be removed and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. How many know debt's a burden? How many know that debt's a yoke? But the anointing removes burdens. The anointing destroys yokes. Wouldn't it be great if there was an anointing to remove burdens and destroy yokes? Wouldn't that just be an amazing thing? How many think that would be amazing? Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Thank you for that anointing. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus stands up in the temple to preach his first message. He opens to the book of Isaiah. Goes to two openings and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. And recover a sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of Jubilee. She says, I'm, anoint, I'm anointed to preach that. And then it says he closed the book, he sat down, gave it to the minister, and everybody was looking at him and says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. So there is an anointing of supernatural debt cancellation. And the thing is, if you're under the Jewish law, you had to wait every 50 years for it to happen. But if you're in Christ, you don't have to wait 50 years. You can get it today. There is an anointing available to you to work on your natural situation to get you out of debt. But operate by the wisdom of God. After God gets you out of debt, don't put yourself back in debt. After God sets you free of something, don't go back and go into bondage. Have you seen that anointing work in Scripture? Yes, 2 Kings chapter 4. We look at verse 1 through 7. There's a woman whose husband died. Her husband was a prophet, served in the sons of the prophet. He was a faithful man, but he was bad with money. So he had so much debt after he died, the creditor said, I'm going to come and take your two sons and sell them into slavery and pay the debt. It's a horrible, desperate situation. So the woman runs to Elisha, the prophet of God, the man of God, tells him situations. You know my husband was faithful. He did the right things. He was just bad with money. What am I supposed to do? He says, what do you have in your house? He's like, all I got is a pot of oil. He says, go and borrow pots from everybody in your neighborhood and close the door. You and your sons fill up every pot, and the oil won't stop until every pot is full. And so they did that. The oil kept supernaturally recreating itself. And they went back to the man of God, what to do now? To sell the oil and live off the rest. So that meant it paid the debt and had enough for it to live off of. The anointing came into that house and caused it to increase what she had. So sometimes God will ask you, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? What can you do? What's in your hand, Moses? What do you got in your hand? What has God already given you? Remember where I said God expects you to work. Work the talents God has given you. Work the giftings God has given you. Expect that anointing to come upon you as you work your job and increase to come and debts to go. So whether God causes it to disappear like that or he causes through your work, cause you to increase until you can pay it off, either way, God will help you cancel debts. Either way, he will get you out of that mess. Either way, he'll help you pay off student loans and pay off medical bills. 2 Kings chapter 4. I told that story, but what about chapter 6? So the sons of the prophets, the ministry school, training to be prophets. And it says, we need to build a bigger ministry school because what we have is too small. So Elijah says, go and build it. So as they're building, one of the prophets is chopping down a tree, and the axe head flew off into the water. And it was deep enough he couldn't reach it. And he said... Elisha, man of God, it's a problem. He says, I borrowed that axe. So now I'm in debt, and it has to be a big problem because he doesn't have enough money to buy a new axe. So what does Elisha tell him to do in chapter 6? He says, give me a twig from that tree. He touches the twig. What happens? The man of God is anointed. He puts the anointing on that twig. 
he throws it in the water. The laws of nature change. And that axe head floats. It's supposed to stay at the bottom. But when the anointing got involved, the axe floated, and it says, pick it up, keep going. The anointing canceled it like that. You should believe for that. And notice, all of these people made themselves available to the anointing. They were around the anointing. So they put themselves in position to receive. Guess what? You're around the anointing. And today you put yourself in position to receive. Pray big prayers because you serve an even bigger God. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. He is the one who has a supply for you. His name is El Shaddai in the Old Testament. says God Almighty, which means he's the all-sufficient one. One of the Hebrew translations talks about, they said, the greatest, strongest languages, basically, if he doesn't have it, he'll make it for you. He has it in abundance. And part of that word is you have to put a demand to receive the supply. It paints the picture of a nursing mother that as long as the baby puts a demand, there will be a supply. As long as you put on a demand of the anointing of supernatural debt cancellation, there will be a supply. So you can't just put a demand today in church when we pray for you. You have to put a demand every single day. You need to talk about that anointing. You need to say every day my bills are being paid off. My debt is canceled. You need to talk about that anointing because as you talk about it, it will work. If you don't talk about it, you won't see as big of a manifestation. Hold on to know that Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, right? But nothing happened until God said something. That anointing will hover over you, but nothing will happen into your finances until you say something. You need to operate by the wisdom of God, and you need to keep your confession right if you want this anointing to work. Because if you keep working in this anointing, it will go from canceling your debt to causing the wealth of the wicked to come to you. Because that's the next step. And that's what God wants to do. And these end times. Because when we read James, it talks about it being a witness. It talks about James chapter 5, all the rich people, the wicked rich people, crying and mourning. Because they got all their money through stealing it, through murder, through oppression. And now they are broke because all their money went to the just. I remember Jerry Savelle telling the story. I'll say this and then we'll close. He says there's a guy he knew, he served with because he served in the armed forces, that, you know, his parents were rich. But he wasn't a guy who served God, wanted nothing to do with God. And so Jerry Seville goes into the ministry, and every once in a while they'll have lunch, they talk, they go for different trainings. They say, oh, how's everything going? Well, the ministry's going good, this is going good. You know, we're traveling here, we're helping these people. He says, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? No, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. But he always asks them, how are you doing? And so one day, he called Jerry Seville to his office. Randy said, hey, I need you to come see me right now. And Jerry said, sure, I'll be there. So he walks out there, and the secretary's saying this, I'm here to hear see so-and-so. And all of a sudden, the man runs out of the office and is throwing money at him. And Jerry's confused. The secretary's confused. He's just like throwing money. And he runs back to the office. Hold on, I got some more. And he throws more money at him. And he's just, he's just looking at him. And the guy says to Jerry Savelle, says, I don't know why this is happening to me. And Jerry Savelle says, I know. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. 
and it finds its way to them eventually. You're the wicked, I'm the just. If you don't get saved, I'm gonna get everything you got. You know what that man did? He fell to his knees and said, bring me to Jesus right now. He got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, served faithfully in his church and became a deacon. What happened? The transfer became a witness and it brought him to Jesus. That's what God wants to do. That's where that anointing wants to take you. But you have to use that biblical wisdom because you can't have that transfer of wealth if you don't know how to manage what you already got. So you have to work the wisdom we talked about today. You have to work this anointing and watch it increase and have in your heart, you have to operate by the law of love. If you do not dedicate yourself to walking in love, you won't receive the fullness of your harvest. Because if you receive it, you will use it to oppress people and get revenge. That's why we say all the time, we forgive everybody of everything. Forgiveness is a financial term. So you're canceling what people owe you emotionally, socially. And as you do that, you're believing that God also canceled your finances. So you got to walk in forgiveness and walk in love. Don't be petty. Don't hold stuff over people. Because if you do, you won't receive everything God has for you. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to pray for all those who need jobs. Then we're going to pray for those who need the job schedule to change so they can attend church more. Then we're going to do the altar call. We're going to receive the missions offering. And then we're going to pray for our youth, have them come back in here, so we pray that they all receive scholarships and grants. And after that, we're going to lay hands on everyone for a supernatural debt cancellation that wants us to pray for them. Amen? So if you need a job, just stand up right now. You don't have to come forward. You just stand up. First lady, if you come and help me. Now, employers in here, I encourage you, if you're looking for someone of faith, approach one of these people afterwards and give them an interview. I didn't say give them a job, I said give them an interview. But if you're in here and not standing, I want you to stretch your hands towards those in here. The first lady, I'm going to pray over you. First lady has a grace on her to help people get jobs. And so I'm going to pray, and then she's going to speak some things over you. Father, we pray for all of those standing. You have a spot for them. You have a job for them. So, Father, I pray that you open their eyes and grant them wisdom and show them where it is. Grant them favor that when they go to the interview process, that they succeed. Grant them wisdom on how to prepare for the interview. Direct them to their place, not only to get a job, but to receive the blessing and to be a blessing to that place. So angels go forth to assist them. We decree favor and blessing on them, and we declare we will have testimonies of every single person standing under the sound of my voice will receive the best job they ever had with better bonuses, better is better everything because of the blessing of God. We decree it right now in the name of Jesus. You got to know how much God loves you and really get that he's for you and that he cares about every detail of your life. I know just recently, I'm just going to share a very quick testimony for me personally, maybe I'm not sure a month ago, um, maybe a month before, a month ago, I the Lord opened the door for me. And then actually, while we were praying, I just saw the Lord opening so many doors. That's all I saw was just open doors. So I was, a month ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, I, 
I got a new contract working with the company, so I'm able to bring in more money to be a blessing to my family. A month before that, I was believing God for this opportunity. Me and my husband have the opportunity this year to, well, our niece is staying with us this year. And so I, I mean, you know, children are, there's just like, you need more money when you have more children. <laughs> I wanted to put her in everything that I knew I needed to put her in to develop her gifts. I wanted to be able to be a blessing. I want to be able to save for her. I would also like the opportunity to work while my baby girl is asleep. I don't want to miss a beat. And I need to get my seven hours of sleep every night. And I want it to be something that I truly enjoy. And the opportunity literally fell in my lap like less than a month later. It was perfect. I mean, so perfect. And so, of course, I walked through that door. It's been a blessing. I was able to then, you know, be a blessing to others. And they now, some of the others now have that same opportunity that I do. However, there was a lot of work that I had to put in afterwards for this contract. I actually became certified in an area where I had not received my certification. I made sure that I would be able to do this in excellence. So I'm a blessing to that company and they are a blessing to me. And for God, it was absolutely nothing. It was easy. I just had to, he just needed for me to simply believe that he loved me enough to give me a job, uh, and, and I guess an additional con a contract that would not interfere with anything, not ministry, not my family, not my husband, not my sleep schedule, nothing. And then I have the opportunity to put the money aside that I desire to put for my children. Now that we have my uh, niece here, she's gonna be blessed tremendously by the time she's um, 18 and in college. So, he is not a respecter of persons. It happened for me because I believed that it could happen for me. I knew that it would happen for me. I made room for it to happen for me. And as soon as it did, I said yes. And I was ready. And I put in the work afterwards. And I put in quite a bit of work. And I am doing an amazing job. I'm not saying that Amen. to, like, give myself kudos. I'm saying it so that you understand... Um, you represent Christ. He's got your back, but you represent him. So you do everything in excellence. This is small. And it's a simple thing for you as well. You have to believe, and then you have to work. Amen. So release that grace on them right now. The same that grace was on you to get this so easily. Just release that on them. Father, I thank you that Every person here believing you for jobs, better jobs, open doors, increases, promotions, that they receive it and so much more. I thank you just for supernatural increase in every area in ways that they don't even expect, not just with this employment, but in every way that you can get it to them. And I just thank you for the testimonies that come in. These doors are open, you all. It's open. So walk through them. Stand. Say what the word says concerning this situation for you. Rejoice. Prepare. Because these doors are already open for you. Amen. Now you be seated. Now if you need your job schedule to change so you can come to church more often, you stand up.
In the name of Jesus, we release favor upon you, wisdom from God upon you on how to keep working your current job. And now, Father, I ask as your son, as the priest of this house, as your man of God, I command schedules to change so they can attend church more faithfully and receive the word more often. And Father, I ask as it changes that they receive an increase in pay, they receive better hours, not only allowing them to attend church, but to have the life you've called them to have. We decree it and we declare it and we call it so. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You may be seated. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.